Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next Big Thing in Health, the podcast from AHIP. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles. And I'm Laura Evans. Today, our guest is Dr. Jan Berger, CEO of Health Intelligence Partners. Dr. Berger is a senior executive with significant board leadership experience, an author, and Fortune 100 corporate officer. We'll talk to Jan about the critical role trust plays in the healthcare system and the responsibility healthcare plans hold. Thanks for joining us today, Jan. Meet Zupari, the first and only CX platform created for health insurance. When it comes to building a better member experience, having the right tech is everything. With Zupari's CX platform, you're plugged into a powerful set of modern technology built specifically for this industry. With the member at the center of a well-orchestrated and personalized experience, everyone benefits. Meet your members where they are with engagement that has purpose. Zapari, let's break through together. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited and actually honored to be here and have this conversation today. Well, uh, welcome. And, you know, it's hard to believe, I think we first met almost a decade and a half ago, uh, back when I was in a different role in the pharmaceutical industry, but it's been so wonderful to just watch all of the tremendous things that you've done throughout the past uh, 15 years and starting, uh, or maybe not starting, but you know, recently, especially with the um, publishing of how important trust is in the healthcare system and your book, Reengaging in Trust, The Missing Ingredient and Fixing Healthcare. Maybe you could share a little bit about what inspired you to write the book on this topic and why you think it's so important. Well, it's interesting. First of all, working backwards, uh, the book was published in 2021 in the middle of the COVID uh, pandemic. Little did I think that the issue of trust would be so important during that period of time. But let's take a step back a little bit, Matt. Uh, how did I get to this issue? Um, it didn't just, actually, it didn't just dawn on me one day. My family would probably say that communication is genetic for me. One of the first toys I had was a toy telephone, one of the ones with the cords on them that many of our listeners probably have <laughs> never seen or don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, and actually, there was a picture on my parents' wall, which was a photograph of me with that toy for many, many years. So my... Um, communication focus started really very, very early. In addition, early in my training as a pediatrician, I had two mentors who really, I did not realize till years later, the impact they would have on me. One was a pediatrician by the name of Dr. McHenry, who was a single solo practitioner and said that the most important tool in building a trusting therapeutic relationship was a thing called social cement. Mm -hmm. Now you may say, what is social cement? Think about when you meet somebody, um, if any of the three of us, let's say first met, one of the things I may say to you is, um, I was out walking my dog today. It's a gorgeous day in Chicago. And you may say to me, oh, what kind of dog do you have? 
and we would start to talk about dogs. That builds a connection. That's the social cement. Dr. McHenry used to write that in his medical record. And by the way, medical records in the 70s when I started in training was a five by seven note card. <laughs> Epic was not even imagined. <laughs> and then each time you met together, it meant that you had an empathetic, listening, respectful relationship. The other person was a gentleman by the name of Robert Gatson. And he his comment was that the greatest tool that you have in medicine is your ears and listening and building a relationship. I didn't realize that that would become the centerfold of my career. Very frightening, the centerfold of my career. <laughs> um, but in each career, whether I was a senior executive in a health plan, my role in running the division at CVS, which had all the clinical programs. And Matt, you may remember that medication adherence was yeah. a very important role for us at that time. And understanding that there were 30 reasons why people don't take their medicines. Cost is only one of them, but it's the one we talk about today. But many of them had to do with trust. I also learned as I started to take our consulting company and our services international that how healthcare executives and how the consumer interacting with healthcare are very different in other parts of the world. And the trust impact because of those different relationships made a huge difference. That does fast forward us to where I started which was, all right, how did I get towards the book? In 2016, there was a presidential election for those of you who don't remember. And what we started to see and what my clients were asking me is, are the societal changes changing what happens in healthcare? And how do we play a role in this? And I started to do some quantitative and qualitative research. And what I found in a six month period confused me and then scared me. So things like we saw a 25% drop in people trusting their friends and family in a six month period. Mm. And where do most of us get our advice of who to see in healthcare or what to do in healthcare? It is not from the health plans websites. It's not from the newspaper. It's from our friends and family. So how do we then go forward? That research started to escalate exponentially. I then did 500 interviews because I was so confused about the data. And then I got grounded in 2020, like all the rest of us. And after going from full-time on the road to full-time at home, the book got finished. Very long answer to why trust and why the book. Timing is everything. <laughs> Absolutely, no question. Well, and there was a great need for it too. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, Jan, you know, the healthcare industry obviously is the only industry where they're 100% of the country is a uh, trust as you just have discovered and we all know in the medical system is falling. And this is after experiencing very high levels of trust during the pandemic. 
Gallup, interestingly enough, I just learned, is has been polling this since the 1970s. And the latest ratings show that 38% of those surveyed have a great deal or quite a lot of trust in the medical system, which is kind of a weird way of asking it. Um, but the ratings are consistent on that right in the middle. Uh, I'm curious, though, to get to the question, what do you see as some of the areas of improvement? What can we all be doing to increase trust in the health system? It's a great, great question. The other metric I want to put towards that 38% is if you go back to the 70s, that number was 70%. Mm. So that's perspective. It's a perspective we have to remember. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing is to acknowledge that we have a trust issue. Because if we don't acknowledge that there are trust issues, then we're not going to pay attention to it. The second is to understand it's not a soft metric. There are very significant outcomes and impacts to that issue. It was interesting. I had a client very recently, um, a health plan, who said to me, we are the most trusted health plan in the country. And not only do our members trust us, the providers trust us. And I said, wow, that's great. I had a whole different conversation going on in my head, by the way, when they said this. And I said, it's great that you measure it. And they said, oh, we don't measure it. We just know it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so needless to say, the first thing I had to do was say, maybe we should measure it. You know, we talk about data. This is an important data piece. And so I think acknowledging we have a trust challenge, acknowledging that it impacts outcomes, whether it's clinical or financial, is very important. Uh, there are a number of industries that have been measuring trust for quite a while. WD-40, the lubricant company, has a very interesting culture, and they've been measuring trust for 15 years. Interestingly, they recently, as people were starting to come back to work, people wanted to come back to work. They rushed back into work. We haven't seen that in many other industries. And part of it was the trust that was built, as you stated, from the employers during COVID as being there for you. We were all pretty scared early on. I don't think we remember that. Yeah. We didn't know what to expect. We were frightened. We were holed up in our homes. And as you said, the health plans, the employers, they were actually there for us for a period of time. And we need to remember that vulnerability is a huge, huge issue around trust. We also have to stop blaming each other. There's a lot of finger pointing going on. We're gonna use the issue of medication costs. If you were to put five people in a room, five different stakeholders in healthcare, they would all blame each other for the cost of medications. You got that right. <laughs> um, that could be a whole different <laughs> podcast around that because Matt, you and I have spent a lot of our careers in, in that field. Yep. Uh, and I remained doing that today across stakeholders. We also have to remember, and this is a tough one, and please don't get me wrong, 
I am a believer, no money, no mission. And that, you know, making a profit in the for-profit world and having the right amount of money to run a system in a non-profit world is very important. But healthcare was not built to make money. It was built to effectively and efficiently care for individuals. So if we can find one or two things that we all agree on, there are days we don't sound like we agree on anything, but that we can all agree on, then Laura, I think we can make an impact. But we have to start with the data, with honesty, and with those few things that we can align on and work from there. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like Houston, we have a healthcare trust problem. Yes, Houston, <laughs> we do. We're on a mission to make health insurance better for everyone. Our unique and exclusive health insurance focus allows us to create solutions that help you acquire and retain members, capitalize on operational efficiencies, boost satisfaction, and improve member outcomes. We offer unparalleled consumer insights and API-first configurable solutions that add lift to your existing investments, with experts that passionately advocate for technology that does what it promises, deliver value and improve the health insurance experience. Zipari, let's break through together. And I was really interested to hear you say, Jan, uh, you know, social cement, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but it's, I can absolutely uh, connect with it. But what other types of societal activities do you think have effects in the trust that we have today in healthcare? We're in a challenge right now. And one of the things that I talk about in the book and I talk about with my clients and anyone on days that will listen to me is that healthcare does not sit alone. So we have some societal challenges around tribalism and partisanship and things of that nature. And we have to remember that does affect healthcare trust, because we come into the healthcare world, maybe not trusting because of other things going in our lives. But the truth is, again, there are some simple things, whether it's two healthcare executives talking to each other, or it's a patient and a provider of some sort, that we have to, we have to be honest. Interestingly, in the book, where many of my peers, whether it's an Edelman or a PWC or many of the others who are measuring trust, many of them don't go to, all right, now what do you do about it? The now what, so what, if you will. We took it and said, what are 15 things that regardless of where you are in the stakeholder world of healthcare. And Laura, as you put it, it's the only industry that 100% of the country is involved in one way or another. There are 15 things that as an individual or an organization, you can do as what's called trust resets and are either negatively or positively going to impact trust. And they're very concrete. So starting wherever you're starting, Every, every organization is not going to be the same. But wherever your organization or you as an individual are starting, 
picking one of those trust reset, measuring up front, acting upon them, and then measuring at the back end is where I would start as we start to rebuild. We're not going to be perfect. Humans are vulnerable. The other thing that's really interesting, and this is my past educational life as a, as a scientist, is our brains actually have a place that play a role. And oxytocin, which is a hormone, is excreted when we trust. So there's a high to trust. Whoever thought that would be the case. But yes, there are, you know, there are healthier ways to get your high than some of the other things out there. Trust is one of them. But you wonder too, if the, if not, not trusting is a learned behavior, I'm curious about that. So if you, if you've learned not to trust, then, you know, it's kind of hard to change that. And I, I'm curious, you're talking about some of the action here. Um, and I, I'd like to dig in a little bit deeper on that. You've talked about the health systems, health plans need to acknowledge, they need to measure, they need to take a look at, at data. What are some of the next steps to take that a little bit further that they can do to help address trust issues and, and build on that a little bit further? So one of the ones that's gotten a lot of uh, activity is the issue of transparency. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is one of the 15 actions. When an organization or an individual is not transparent, the scenario is rewritten by somebody else. They feel like there be something is being hidden on purpose, even yeah. if it's not the case. So, you know, there's all this talk around transparency. We're not doing it well yet, but at least if we acknowledge, we know we're not at the end zone of it's football season i can say the end of getting to transparency we are trying to get to transparency for x reason and this is how we're going to interact in trying to get there but it's also important and i think we saw this during covid when we don't know an answer to something it's okay to say i don't know mm-hmm. We feel vulnerable. We There's a whole host of feelings that come forth by saying, I don't know. But for example, in cost transparency, you're better off saying, I don't know, but we're in the range of X than giving a number and it being wrong. Mm -hmm. Because just as you said a moment ago, Laura, if somebody has learned to not trust, if they felt lied to, even if it was not conscious, they're not going to trust that individual or that organization too easily again. It's like the egg. It's Humpty Dumpty. When the egg cracks and falls, really hard to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had a great boss once, one of my, my first ones uh, out of grad school. Um, and I learned very quickly, everyone said, do not make up an answer where you think you know something is that just say, I don't know. Let me look, let me look into it. I'll get back to you rather than Absolutely. your credibility would be shot in that. And we know, you know, lack of trust in the healthcare system has a lot of reasons, a lot of challenges given the, what the system faces mm -hmm. around cost, which you highlighted access for, especially a lot of people, different individuals who might lack access and, and quality, which is 
back to your data point, isn't always easy to measure quality in healthcare. But how do you think the system can overcome some of these challenges? Well, there are some 30,000 foot answers and there are some really concrete, relatively easy answers. I'll give you an example. When I call my health plan, both pre-Medicare, and by the way, I turned 65 this summer, we could have a whole conversation (laughs) about a healthcare executive going through and trying to figure out Medicare. There's a reason why people are confused. It took me weeks and healthcare has been my career. But when you call up and you ask if something is covered, I'm trying to be responsible. And if the answer is either maybe, that doesn't much help me, does it? So having some of the systems in place that you know, probably we can get it right 90% of the time and having algorithms. We've lived in a world of algorithms since the, since the 80s. There are things of that nature and there are some easy, concrete things. Speaking a common language, it's, it's fascinating to me. There was, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and I said, well, you have this program. XYZ program. And they said, what is that program? I have no idea what you're talking about. We are so good at our own lingo. And (laughs) it's not just what's interesting is if you talk to a healthcare executive and you talk to a provider, they don't use the same lingo. And in some cases, they use it defensively against each other. Some of the stuff I talk about in the communication reset. We did a study about 10 years ago and asked 500 people where they would go in a pharmacy to get the drug over the counter. And they said, go back to the pharmacist so they could hand it to me over the counter. We don't even know what other people, we are truly speaking a different language. So being conscious of that language, very, very important. Again, it goes back to that transparency you were talking about. Do you see a scenario, Jan, in which stakeholders make a conscious behavioral, you know, again, going back to what we were talking about too, about this learned behavior, make a conscious behavioral decision to change and to trust? Or is that not even something that you would consider? Because certainly that would be powerful and could ripple across the system. And what would it take to get to that? Well, first of all, I think if there's a line incentives, right now we have a zero uh, sum game in -hmm. healthcare. So if I make more money, you make less. Mm -hmm. That's, That's not an easy change to make. But there are some changes that could be made there, even if you go slowly and get there. Some of the value-based, although patients don't trust the value-based care, they're like value to who? That's a contractual relationship between the provider and the payer. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, great example, Cigna, a number of years ago with their first chief consumer officer, she had 100 words that were not allowed to be used within Cigna because they weren't patient-friendly or member-friendly words. And they totally changed their lingo. The other one, Cleveland Clinic, when they first brought in Bridget Duffy to do their patient-friendly model, totally changed how the clinic interacted with the patients who were using their system. So there are some concrete things that can absolutely be done. Wow. 
That's a, a lot to think about. Uh, and I ha had heard about the Cleveland Clinic uh, example too. It sounds like that's been a, a very big success for them. You know, as we look to the future, Jan, we always like to ask our guests one final question. And so here we go. What is the next big thing in health? You know, I've been waiting for you to ask that because as I said, I listen to you guys regularly. And I was on the L the other day saying, all right, here are the five things I'm going to say to him. Now what's the one that I'm really going to say? <laughs> so to the two of you, I think the, when I think about trust, I'm going to use the example of the member, the consumer, whatever you want to call them as how I'm going to answer this today. I want to trust a healthcare system that can answer this question, that I can get care when I need care from somebody I can trust. So I think the next great thing is going to be care delivery in the future and the where, who, the what, and the why. And we're seeing this in care at home. We're seeing this in community workers being caregivers all kinds of things. So I think it's going to be the care issue. I really do. Other countries have struggled with this and overcome it in some ways. And I think it is both the exciting opportunity and the challenge that we have as roles change within healthcare. Supari, the first and only CX platform created for health insurance. When it comes to building a better member experience, having the right tech is everything. With Zapari's CX platform, you're plugged into a powerful set of modern technology built specifically for this industry. With the member at the center of a well-orchestrated and personalized experience, everyone benefits. Meet your members where they are with engagement that has purpose. Zapari. Let's break through together. Yeah, I think you said it. It's an opportunity. The time is now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jan Berger, thank you so much. Great conversation. Thank you so much, Jan. Great to be thank with you. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun and continue with the great work you guys do because it is always thought provoking and I really enjoy it. Thank you.